Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have an absolute island legend of a guest. It is Eric Uresk. Got it? You got it. I thought I was going to mess that up as I was saying it. Um, that whole verbal uh, di- dyslexia, I start to fall apart. Anyways, let's get this podcast started. As you know how we do on the Fruiting Body Podcast, we are in Phuket, Thailand. Um, we are just interviewing and having that discussion with people that have lived here or if you're new to uh, Phuket in Thailand we want to hear about your experience what have you done here you know where are you going and what's next for you I'm not going to tell you subscribe I'm not going to tell you to like I'm not even going to tell you about our mushroom supplements we're just going to get this started so without further ado Eric Uresk yeah hey buddy thanks a lot for joining us yes stoked to be here yeah sorry it usually takes a bit of time to get started uh we'll try to keep it under 40 minutes it's not so easy I want to jump right into this right away. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and what are you doing? Sure. So I'm currently living in San Diego, California, uh, born and raised in New York, lived all over the country and world uh, there and back. Uh, today, what I currently do, I am, as much as I hate this term, I am a, a life coach. Uh, I work primarily with successful business guys, uh, creating more of a work-life balance. So focusing on on the rest of their life uh, oftentimes when you're you know building wealth uh, a lot of relationships can get ignored health can get ignored uh, a lot of the other stuff can fall to the side and so that's where I come in and, and, and take a look at how can we create a balance that that actually works um, I also work with these guys on their leadership skills as far as their communication with the people that they are leading and in charge of and then I also work with just guys that feel stuck in their life like just regular everyday guys that feel like uh, this is it. Like you said earlier, you were talking about, you know, your friends back home and they think that, you know, I've got a wife, I've got a kids and this is what my life has to look like now. And, but they're not happy. Right. That's how I, I work with Where did up that. So that experience before you, you're jumping into becoming the life coach. And I think a lot of people, they get, um, that term gets thrown around maybe too loosely. Um, to let the audience know, you were the head MMA coach at uh, to, uh, Phuket Top Team Correct. down on the soy. That was 2014 to 2019. Correct. So you're you're a, a Phuket OG, let's yeah. say. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that, but first, like the ability to give that um, you know direction to people looking for it and, and building on these life experiences. Now, I've done a lot of research into your back uh, your backstory. It is a wild one. Um, is that where you're pulling from to, you know, to that's your, your own life experience. It's your own portfolio to give that direction. So yeah, largely, yes, that's what sort of inspired it. Um, also as I began coaching fighters, as I left my own professional fight career and began coaching fighters, I really got obsessed with the idea of using martial arts as a pathway to confront fear. Um, I because I would see it, I saw it in myself and I saw it in the athletes that I was working with, how basically how they were able to handle fear would very much determine how they would be able to perform when the lights come on, uh, how well they would be able to work on their vulnerabilities in practice um, and turn them into strengths. Uh, and so that became, I, I really dove deep into that as a coach. As a, Is it more the fight, fight or flight instinct? Well, yeah, I think that's our natural thing is our fight or flight instinct. There's also a, a lot of identity goes with it, right? So let's so a lot of fighters, and this is changing, but a lot of fighters for a, a good amount of time come from maybe not the best upbringings, right? There's there's something there that that gets there's something 
that happens to somebody where they want to decide, I want to fight in a cage for a living, right? There's usually something that they're making up for. So for, for, for a guy like me, and I know there's many like me, I was a street guy. I was one of the toughest guys in my neighborhood, right? And so I build this reputation. I build this identity as this is who I am, right? And I, I you know, you get treated different when you can fight. You get treated different when you have a capacity for violence, um, whether as a street guy or an athlete. Okay, Pe people want to be around these guys. I think there's something very innately primal about people that can fight well, right? So almost like a, a modern day superhero, if you will. Uh, and so when you build your identity around that, and now, but now you're getting in there with other guys that are also that guy. Okay, now oftentimes I'm fighting to keep that perception of myself alive because for a guy like me that's the only version of me that i knew that would get my emotional needs met right they my emotional needs didn't get met at home they got met out in the street beating people up the older kids would would clap for me and and take me in and and be nice to me people were nice to me because i could beat people up that's that's the the quick math that i did right i don't think that's a uncommon story in this world i think it's actually more common than, than not what was that first fight when those endorphins and you realized oh shit if i keep doing this oh, i'm gonna get that remember, feeling remember it like it's by the time i was in fifth grade i had been in 50 street fights right i kept meticulous track um but i remember this one i went to the schoolyard to f fight this kid ricky and there was a bunch of older kids there and i was a little scared but as soon as as soon as the action sprang, I remember, I remember hitting him and I remember just feeling like how much control I had and I could feel him crying. And I remember as the, the, the older kids applauded, I remember taking his finger and looking at him and I could, I can remember looking at his eyes almost like, please don't. And I remember just snapping his finger backwards and like making a conscious decision to do so because I wanted the applause from the older guys, right? And from that moment on, I was taken care of in, in that neighborhood um, you know, I, I had these, these older guys would look after me and I felt very, uh, I felt like I was a part of something. Did you feel an immediate remorse or hours later from that experience or you're like, I'm going to keep doing that? I probably didn't feel remorse over that. till I was, a in my late thirties. Mm. And where did that come from? Where are you growing up in New York where this type of violence is encouraged within, you know, the streets themselves? Sure. So I, I grew up in Long Island. Um, it's a, Long Island has a, a wide gap of wealth and then very blue-collar uh, working-class families. I came up in a very blue-collar working-class family, a lot of addiction and, and alcoholism and, and craziness and on both sides of my family. So home, home wasn't a place where I could get those needs met. You know, my parents were just, they were, they were surviving and in survival. They didn't have a lot of emotional bandwidth left over. So I just would be out in the street with not a lot of guidance and, I don't know, I, I tell this story often, but the only idea I had of what a man is supposed to be was through 80s action movies, right? That, that was what was raising me, essentially. I didn't have anybody teaching me things. So what did I learned from 80s action movies? Sometimes this guy gets fucked with, right? Then he kicks ass. There's some sort of redemption story where he has to kick ass and become the hero, Uh once he can kick ass, nobody messes with him anymore. Then everybody loves him and he gets the girl at the end. Right? If you could break down a lot of, a, a lot of those basic action movies that a lot of us grew up on and, into that type of formula, or at least I did. And that's, I was like, that's the template. That's what you got to do. 
I I read some background on that, and and eventually, kind of, it led yourself to Vegas, and you know, you're you want to get involved in MMA. Yeah. Um, take us through the long part of that story, like the whole transition from fighting, like as a child, and you, you know, transitioning now into a sport, making it a career. How did you make that decision? What were those milestones along the way? So, I was in a. Uh, I spent from 17 to 20 in and out of a, uh, a state institution uh, and, and a group home uh, for uh, mentally ill chemical abusers, right? It was a MICA unit. So uh, I, had, I dealt with some mental illness, and, uh, and I was a full-blown drug addict by the time I was 14 or 15. So by, from 17 to 20, I'm spending a lot of time in these, these, these facilities, right, getting you know, medical care and, and all types of like behavioral modification. Uh, as I'm graduating, I'm, yeah, I'm about 20. I start going, the only thing I ever had prior to that, that, that I loved was wrestling. Okay. I got to wrestle for a year and a half in high school and I loved it. I just couldn't keep myself out of trouble long enough to stay in school with, with, uh, with normal kids. So, but I was talented and I knew, okay, I'm going to try this out. So I started going into the city uh, New York City and doing Greco-Roman wrestling with a Russian team, uh, all Russian immigrants. And I learned from a coach that was a, a coach for the Soviet Union during the 70s and started to get pretty good. And then I started hearing about these underground fights in uh, in Manhattan. I got invited to go do one and uh, no gloves, no rules, no nothing. I remember uh, beating this guy till his eyes rolled in the back of his head in a warehouse and like, oh, this is, this is it. You know, I always knew that I wanted to fight ever since I saw the first, uh, the first UFC. Uh, you know, the, the, yeah. it was 1993, the, the, the first Hoist Gracie fight. I was like, Jesus, like, that's, that's crazy that this dude can do that to these people. Uh, so I knew, always knew that, that was somewhere in my head. I would rent the, the, the VHS tapes constantly, and, uh, and I was just obsessed with it. Uh, I would cut school and go back to school to go in the computer lab so I could look up martial arts. So I wouldn't even, I would just be in, in the school, not in my class, but I was immersed in this universe. It was magical characters, you know. There's, it wasn't everywhere yet. You could, the, the information, you had to go find it. And there was, there was something really special about that too. Uh, so I go, started going to these underground fights. I started taking professional fights. And back then, honestly, the barrier to professional fighting was just to sign up and fucking do it. Like they didn't, you didn't really pass a physical and, there's no training. Yeah, there was no, yeah, they didn't, you didn't have to, there wasn't a huge barrier to entry. And so I just started, I started fighting professionally and then I moved out to Las Vegas. I started training with Mark Lehman at, at, uh, at the Cobra Kai, trained with Randy Couture at Extreme Couture for three this years. This is like 2006? 2006, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you know, and so I'm going through those gyms and uh, I eventually come back to New York and, I'm not doing a whole lot. I end up going out to San Diego to train with Dominic Cruz and help him get ready for a fight. I flew out there. After two weeks, I decided this is the place that I'm staying. I lived in the gym for two years, had my car shipped out there, lived in these subhumane barracks above the gym with a couple other fighters, and that was it. We got up, trained, took a nap, ate, trained again, taught some classes, you know, and, and that was life for, for was a long it, time. Is it discipline, money, or just the love for the martial art? What, what was your motivation at that point? Or did this stuff change throughout time? I'll say this. When I look back now, my motivation was I thought the only thing worthy about me was that I was good at fighting and that I had to grow into this image that I had for myself. Um, 
otherwise I would lose the the right to 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 have anything that I feel good about myself about. So it was re- it was just it was a character. It was a, it was a it was what I thought I needed to be. And and I and when that's all you've got, you'll a lot of us will fight like hell. We will live in cr- we will sacrifice so much. Right? I man, I think through my 20s I'd be shocked if I made more than like $30,000 a year in any of those years. And, and that would be on the high end. Uh, I made enough money to live and train. And, and that was it. Like, you weren't thinking about the money at those times. You're really focused on the image. Y- yeah. Well, you're thinking about how much money you don't have. Right? <laughs> you definitely, when you're broke, like you're thinking about money all the time, but I'm willing to endure this because of the hope that I have that one day I can become this thing that I think I need to become. It sounds like that thing, you're talking past tense. So when did that image of what you wanted to be disappear and what took for that image to, 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 let's say, uh, mold into something new? I was living in Thailand. I had been here for a year as, as a fighter. And I was also kind of like the team captain. So I was essentially coaching everybody anyway. And uh, we didn't really have a coach. And At top team. At top team. And I remember... I had trained throughout my career. I had trained for fights that didn't go through twice. It happened for two and a half years, right? So that's five years I lost out of my career of I would train for fights and either I would get an injury or my opponent would pull out. Mostly my opponent would pull out. So two and a half years that happened twice, right? It's it's so hard when you train for a fight that doesn't happen. There's no release point, right? There's no closure. And so you're just stuck with all this, like, there's there's no completion. Mm. Uh, And so I was getting ready for another fight out here uh, and trained trained my ass off, uh, dealing with some things, but I I made it through the camp, weight's good. Three days before, they pulled my opponent. And uh, I was so heartbroken, and I just realized at that moment two things. One, I I knew I wasn't ready to get, to give what I knew was necessary to put into a training camp, right? I come from uh, Alliance MMA is what I consider, you know, my gym still to this day. As, as a fighter, I was with a few other gyms, but Alliance MMA is, was really my home. Uh, what I learned there and what's necessary to put into preparation is if you're not willing to give it your all, if you're not, like two a days is the minimum. Showing up twice a day is the minimum. It's all the other extra things. And if I'm not willing to do that anymore and, and like, do it, happily do it, then I don't want to fight anymore because if I'm not, I don't want to just, like, show up to collect a check or be a journey. That's not what it was about for me. Uh, I wouldn't disrespect uh, uh, fighting in in such a way. And so I knew knew then I was done. And the other thing is I just lost the chip on my shoulder. Said, I don't need this anymore. Like, it's... And I also saw, like, whatever I thought this was going to make me or bring me, if I was, you know, whatever, got famous or became a world champion, um, I knew guys that were famous and world champions, and they weren't happy either. Uh, a lot of them were pretty miserable, actually. And, and so um, I just recognized, yeah, that's, that's not what I need. I, d- I don't need this anymore. And I knew I had a talent for coaching since very, very young, uh, uh, I had been being groomed to be a coach at Alliance and even in my wrestling career, I remember my, my coach remarking like, you're going to be a really good coach one day. Uh, 
And so, yeah, so I knew coaching would be the, the, the natural progression. I've, everywhere I've ever gone in my life, I've always ended up in a leadership position, whether it's a fucking group home, in jail, homeless, everywhere I've ever gone, I, I end up assuming some leadership position. It was no different when I went to top team. Everybody just started following what I was doing. It wasn't a, a, a given title or anything like that. People just saw what I was doing. They followed along. They trusted my guidance. Was that the biggest turning point in your life, going from fighter to coach? One of, the biggest turning point in my life is probably getting married, to be honest. Getting sober and getting married are probably the, the two, two biggest turning points in my life. Uh, I think, yeah, that, that's up there, though, for sure. When we, we go to school, like university, to be honest, you don't learn shit. Uh, you learn more in your, your first year on the job than you did in the four years of university. Can you relate that to that dream of being a fighter for years and the first year being a coach? What did you learn the most about yourself during that time that kind of, you know, you, you didn't even realize that might have been sitting in front of your face as a fighter the whole time, but that year of being a coach, not only are you teaching others, you're teaching yourself. Okay, so that's a, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, one thing is that the fighter's attachment to the winning and losing is often their biggest roadblock. Oftentimes, where fighters struggle, and you can be successful like this, I think you just won't get the most out of yourself, is, is a fear-based approach. I'm coming to training because I don't want to lose. I'm coming to training because I don't want to be out of shape. Right? The opposite of that is I'm coming to training because I want to win. I'm coming to training because I want to be in the best shape possible, right? One is based off what you want. The other is based off what you're resisting and what you don't want to have happen. And it's, it can be hard to see that in yourself. But when you step back and you're observing these young men and women, and you see a lot of times that's the primary motivator for a lot of these guys. It's, it's, uh, that was, it took me back a little bit. And I, so what I realized that often what we're resisting is what we're we're afraid of it, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't resist it. Mm. And it's when resistance is the motivation, I, I don't think you get the highest expression of martial arts out of yourself. That's not to say you can't win like that. It's not to say that you can't be a world champion like that. I just believe you won't get the purest expression of yourself from that. How do you change the motivation so it's not just conscious, but it's subconscious and it's real? Because maybe the motivation is, I do want to be champion, but you can't let that drive you because that's not the, the you don't want that, you know, to be chasing. So what do you, what would you tell fighters? Like, don't chase the belt. I know that is what you want, but you need to find a different motivation and you need to change it. What information or direction would you give them? So I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with chasing the belt per se as a, as a long-term goal. I want to be champion. Okay, cool. Um, but the first thing that I get to do, for, and, and this is in any coaching, the first thing that I get to do is we get to get clear on what you want. Okay. So if we're, once we're clear on what you want, and okay, so from here, what's, what's the distance or what's what we call the gap between where you are now and where you want to be? Okay. So uh, uh, what are your, what are the weak, what's in the way? What, what's, what would need to have happened in order for you to get from here to there? There would need to be some probably self-assessment at that point. Well, my striking is not that great or I need work on my wrestling or I could 
be more confident in the fights. Like sometimes I, I start to fall apart mentally, my conditioning. These are the, where we get to assess. These are, these are the things that are in the way. The, these micro things you need to yes. work on. Yeah, these small steps, right? These things that I would need to become in order to become a champion, okay? So from right here, right now, if I was to have the title fight today, would I feel confident? Okay, what would help me feel confident? So just that question, what would help me feel confident? Okay, then I get, that makes very clear to me the things that I, I'm not confident about. Then we can start to get to work. Mm. And it is a, it's a daily process of, of me supporting them and growing that awareness. Okay, so I just want you to see. This is, and, and I get to give them feedback. I, I'm noticing that you seem to be responding with fear in these particular situations during training. I notice you playing it safe in these particular situations in, in training. I notice you're unwilling to take risks. And without putting a right or wrong on it, do you think that's going to be the best path to get you where you're trying to go? So you're taking the larger goal and breaking it down into these miniature goals or, or things that people need to work on and having them working on it individually. Otherwise, maybe you're getting overwhelmed on a large goal and not understanding the steps on along the way. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need bite-sized tangible pieces, small victories uh, on the path to this, this, this bigger thing. Did you see most fighters, they, they don't have that thought process and maybe the more elite fighters, you can see they've already got a hold of that process without having to have too much direction. There's guys that are going to be great no matter what. Uh, but outliers are always going to be outliers, right? So how I would coach that person, maybe that would be a little bit different. I, what I'm interested in is the guy that, what about the person that could be champion, right? But it's not, it's not like, it's not a clear thing. That's not going, like going to happen just on its own, right? There's, there's things that it need to, to, to take place in order for this person to become a champion. Can you grow this person into a champion, that's what's fascinating to me, right? I believe Conor McGregor would have been Conor McGregor with any coach. I don't, I don't give John Cavanaugh any credit for that. Uh, I think he hasn't produced anybody really worthy since. Uh, John Cavanaugh is a jiu-jitsu guy. Conor McGregor is not a jiu-jitsu guy. He's a striker, right? He is a, he's an anomaly. He's an outlier. He would have been great anywhere. And there's people like that that come along regardless of the coaching. Is that how now you're applying that thought process to the business world as well? And I, I think to put it back on, on myself, it's the kind of, let's say, chasing the belt. I don't allow the money of the success of the mushroom business to dictate the direction of the company. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I found uh, that changed my life uh, personally and in business was don't look at your bank account and don't look at numbers because they're actually not relevant. You need to look at the greater goal. And what is that? And on the business side, for me, uh, uh, it's always been to educate the world on the lost information of mushrooms and how can I teach people about that? And what are the steps I need to do to teach people that? The money will come when you do that. Right. But if the money is the goal, you're going to take the wrong direction to get to the money instead of the direction should be what is the idea. And that's kind of what has driven myself in the past two years that changed everything. If you asked me five years ago, you would look at a, a bank account and then every month you're like, okay, I have this much and next month I want to have this much. 
And that was probably, probably five or six years ago. And I changed my mind completely. I said, if I'm worried to make a little bit extra every month, I'm just going to be penny pinching and picking up dollars my whole life or dimes my whole life while dollar bills fly over my head. And I thought, a millionaire doesn't worry about making an extra grand next month. So I just changed everything and I went into debt as in like, okay, I'm going to spend this money to, and let's see where this fucking goes. And if I get nothing, then I don't care. And I would come at it from a perspective like, so if you lose 10 grand and you want to be a millionaire, and if you're worried about 10 grand, you're never going to fucking be there anyways. 100%. And I, that's where everything changed in my perspective completely. And it's very strange because I've changed that my perspective in that sense. But then I'll see other people out there that were like me. And I try to explain it to them. They're like, yeah, but next month I have to pay for this. I'm like, so? I'm like, go to the bank, take a $10,000 loan to do this. Yeah, but now I owe 10 grand. I'm like, yeah, but you'll never get there unless you do that. Yeah, but then I'll have the stress of 10 grand. I'm like, if you want to go to the next level, you have to take those risks. So kind of this long thought, of, uh, let's say monologue I'm having here is applying like your coaching lessons of the thought process to the business world. Can you talk a little bit about how you've taken your experience in, in working with fighters and now applying it to the business world and working with these clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love what you're saying. So like what I'm hearing from you is you were more focused on the fulfilling aspect of the business and like really letting the vision of the business, not, not the money being the, the, the end all be all of the, the marker of success. Uh, it's sure it's a factor. It's there. Uh, it's not something you want to ignore completely, but it's, it didn't dictate all of your decisions. Yeah. I, it, from the beginning, no, I, I had a famous DJ on here. His name's Goldie. Uh, he's, he's he pioneered jungle and I had him on once and he kind of changed my mind and I went to his house and he's doing art and I'm like asking him, he's doing something uh, on the business side. I'm like, oh, but what about this? How are you going to monetize that? He's like, I don't fucking know. I'm like, how do you not know the numbers? He's like, I have a business manager. Mm-hmm. I go, so what do you do? He's like, I make art and I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And as long as I do that, that bank account will just keep going up. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I, and I, I applied that thought process to what I was doing. So back to your question, yeah. it's like, I'm like, ah, don't put money as the driver, put it as what your what what is your art? Even though maybe maybe the business is an art, but it's like what is your passion, and how what are the steps to make your passion your vision actually come to fruition? And it's not so easy to articulate, but I can still see it all up here of where sure. where I see it going, and I've taken out money out of the equation. Yeah, see, I love this because I uh, I was listening to a uh, Rick Rubin podcast not too long ago, and he was talking about I just make things that I think are cool and I don't give a fuck about like, Oh, I want to make this so that people like it. I make what I like and it's never steered me wrong. He talks about every creation is almost like a, uh, a devotion to, uh, to the divine. And I think that, Oh, that's such a cool way to look at things. I, I agree. It's like, I feel we're antennas. I know this is hippy dippy, but like I get like, I have my vision of what I want to do and I don't allow it to change. I might use some AI tech to help mold it because I actually I prefer the opinion of the AI over someone else because actually the AI is just an extension of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, have the, I can see it. Okay, I want to do mushroom educational content, but I want to make it fun and I want to do it my way. 
And that's it. It's the concept of whatever your vision is. And it's kind of like what we discussed a minute ago, I think before the podcast. I don't even overthink the first video we'll shoot. So we did a mushroom education video that we're doing. It's going to be fun, choppy, lots of reels, lots of ins and outs. My guy will be like, okay, well, you got to write the script and we got to do that. I'm like, no, I'm going to write the script. We're going to do it. We're going to shoot it. I don't know what I need to change. And maybe on the fifth version, it will be the best one. I'm like, but if I overthink the first one, I'll never do the first one. Exactly. And that's kind of like to answer that, that divine message coming in. It's just when that creative bug want, you know, when you get bit by the creative bug, just do it. And it's even like what Gary V says as well. Gary V goes, I will create the content and I'll produce 20 pieces a day and I'll see which one is working and then I'll lean into that one and I'll keep making that one better. Okay, simple. Yeah. Instead of just like, uh, I want to create a piece of content and I'm going to take four months to write it and it's going to be perfect and then you go, you shoot it, you look at it, you're like, fuck, that was shit. Yeah. And you wasted four months. You could have shot 20 of them and revised them 50 times. 100%. Yeah, so when I left Phuket, uh, I went to, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have any job offers I was in love with. Yeah, it was like, oh, maybe we'll make a gym in Marbella, Spain. I had all these things coming, but nothing that I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I ended up spending the summer in New York uh, upon leaving here. And I've got a decent amount of saved, but, you know, I'm not rich. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back to San Diego. I lived there before for four years before coming to, uh, to Phuket. I have a feeling I'm just going to put some things together out there. I go out there. I don't have a car. I don't have a job. I don't have an apartment. I'm engaged. Uh, my wife and I, we move out there. Within a month, I'm married. <laughs> I have a car. I've got a job. And I've got an apartment. So I'm like, just taking that action, right? Taking that action based off of the inspiration that I have to create. I don't even know what it is I want to do yet. I start working, coaching with the gym that I came up with as a fighter, Alliance MMA. Somewhere in there, I realized I'm not deeply passionate about whatever's happening here with this, this group of athletes. And uh, so I continue to coach, but I'm not loving it. Along the way, I start doing some, some deep training in emotional intelligence. I start doing training, training in leadership. I start, doing more training in uh, working through trauma as I'm working through my own PTSD at the time. So I'm starting to get educated in this other thing. Uh, after about two years in the States, I get a call from Tiger Muay Thai. They want me to come out and be the head coach. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this job because it's like, this was going to solve all my problems of having to worry. Uh, you know, making money in the States is hustling private lessons and stuff like that. When I'm coaching in Thailand, I have no worries, right? If I make $3,000 a month, I'm, I'm straight. I can live pretty well here for $3,000 a month. I get the first dose of the vaccine for the travel restrictions. It puts me in the hospital. So I'm not getting the second one because I don't want to die. My heart got fucked up for a month. Was it my, my, Michael yeah. Cardite? Yeah, myocarditis. Yes. I end up running into... I end up going to check out uh, Richmond, Virginia as a place that I may want to move because I, I gave up my apartment to, to take this Tiger gig. And I, uh, I gave up all our belongings. All I have is my car and some money in the bank. So my wife and I were staying with my parents for a bit. 
I meet people in Richmond, Virginia that are in the online coaching space. I always knew that I wanted to take what I had and move into this, this coaching space, coaching people in their lives has always been somebody that people will just open up to me instantly and, uh, and start divulging, you know, (laughs) to their deepest secrets. And, uh, I knew I had something there. So from that, that seemingly, you know, terrible thing, oh, my, my heart's fucked up. I can't take this, this job in Thailand where all my coaching business grows. I don't follow any of the formulas that, that people do to start their online coaching business. I have like, what, maybe 10, 11,000 Instagram followers at the time. But I have relationships that are really strong and I'm meeting people. First year in the business, the business does six figures in the first year of, of, of coaching. I made very little of that online, uh, through social media. Social media is a place that I express my ideas and, and flesh out my thoughts. I made my money through being a solid fucking guy in relationships with people. And, and when people are around me and they get a dose of what it is that I can bring into their lives, hey, I'm interested in hearing more about your coaching business. And getting on these big clients, these business owners, and boom, second year is almost probably, probably going to, the second year is, is way more successful than the first year. These are coming from your already network. established network, network. Yep. of just, you know, hey, this guy. People I've met in a random grappling class in Phuket Top Team where I called him out on a fearful reaction that I saw. I said, hey, man, you're playing not to lose. And I could see you get tight. And I started asking him questions about what that's all about, right? And just from these questions, he starts to self-examine. The moment I announced I was coaching, he hits me up. Right, the guy's been a client for a year and a half. These are businessmen. They're not. They're mostly coming to train. Yeah, they're not training to fight or no. no. Yeah, mostly businessmen, mm. guys that I've just met. Yeah, guys I've met on the jujitsu mat as students that happen to own companies. Guys that I've met in trainings that I've done for leadership and emotional intelligence. Guys that I've just come across in places that I've hang out. We start talking, and I just ask some questions. I'm not afraid to ask people hard questions and get them to reflect for themselves. My job is not to give anybody the answer. It's to get them to reflect on and to look at themselves. If, if a person doesn't see themselves and see the nature of how they're living and what that's creating, not, not right, wrong, good or bad, right? Me living like this is creating what I currently have. If I want to live a different way, do I need some support to do that? That's where I would come in. What is the kind of the most common questions or issues that they, that, the, the people in the business world approach you what they're trying to solve? Well, uh, over-prioritization of money, poor relationship skills, poor communication skills. Relationship in the business or personally? Personal. And in business, but mostly personal. Mostly personal. And, dude, I mean, look around you. I'm sure you know other successful people, right? It would be quite, quite odd for a successful person to not, not know other successful people. And look at the people that have the most wealth. Now, it's not a rule just because you have wealth, you're going to be unhappy. But man, I know a lot of unhappy wealthy people. A lot. I would say more of them are unhappy than happy. The ones that I know, they constantly stressed, constantly worried about maintaining whatever it is. Um, is that from kind of chasing, again, the, the, the end of the rainbow instead of kind of piecing together well, the, it's the purpose? The, here's, this is what I've learned to be true. Money will purely exacerbate all all of whatever's inside money is just going to bring that out and shine a magnifying glass on it if you've got 
issues with drugs, alcohol. Money is just going to give you massive access to more drugs and alcohol. If chasing women is your thing, right? Money is just going to give you more access to to chase those <clears throat> demons, right? If you have poor relationship skills, money is going to give you more access to avoid that in the first place, right? And there's only so many peak experiences you can have before even those don't work anymore. So you're just throwing gasoline on the fire. You're just that escapism. And once, and this is what I love about Phuket. Phuket, for the first time ever when I lived here, I didn't have to worry about money. I was financially stable. I could do whatever I want. I could eat out six times a day if I want. Endless amounts of beautiful tourist women coming in and out of this place all the time. Just running rampant on the soy, right? I had everything that I could have wanted, and I found myself miserable. Why? Because I wasn't happy inside. Right? Everything was about I, everything that I, I was doing was to escape this inner condition that I didn't want to deal with. Right? A lifetime full of trauma that I had not taken a look at. Sure, I was sober a long time. I stopped drinking, doing drugs. I'm nearly sober like 20 years now. Um, at the time, whatever, 13, 14, 15 years. Really poor relationship skills. Really still felt inherently not good about myself. I still needed something to prop me up. I still needed to be the expert in the room. Right? I would have this thing where when I got around somebody that I thought was influential or, or could do something for me, I would, instead of like shutting up and soaking up some knowledge uh, or being interested in the person, I would try to get them to be interested in me. Right? So it was a, everything was a self-focus. And whenever the focus is self-focused, I've never met a happy person that is intrinsically just self-focused. When I'm at my unhappiest, all I am focused on is me. Conversely, when I'm focused on relationships, when I'm focused on bettering the people around me, when I'm focused on giving my friends the spotlight, when I'm focused on growing people, nurturing people, putting into people, that doesn't mean I ignore doing my own work. I'm happy. I feel connected. I feel a part of. I think the idea of the self-made man is bullshit. I think, yeah, there's guys that work hard, but fuck if, if there wasn't an opportunity given somewhere or some knowledge given somewhere. I don't believe anybody's really self-made. I believe that we, we take from, from whatever we can pull from. Yeah, I mean, you, you, we, you get lucky sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't, I'm not so much lucky. It's also the opportunities there and you grab it. Um, You're open. It's open yeah. yeah, as well. I mean, even for, for us, like we're just starting. Um, we're by no means, we, we just started in April. We're, we're doing very well, but we're just cash flow rich. But we're negative. Not meaning in, in a bad way. It's like tied up in inventory and marketing. We're building a brand. I mean, yeah, we could pull the plug and all this stuff and just start throwing money, in, uh, putting money in, in the pocket. But it, then the brand just will never grow. Right. So... For, for things like this, it's um, you really have to let the ego go as well and, and look at the bigger picture. When, when you're dealing with these um, you know, people that are having these personal issues, especially on the business side, is it the, the fact that they can't separate personal and business? So the, the, sometimes the communication you have in business, it, you need to be a bit of a dickhead sometimes to a certain level or things just don't get done and especially in asia and i can explain that a bit sure. later <laughs> but then like if you're like if you're working like that 10 hours a day and then you finally go home to your your loved ones it's very difficult to change the switch 
Is that is that a lot of the times how they would kind of um, what's the word I'm like to justify their behavior? I would say yes, that happens. I think the way that I look at it, I don't, I don't think that our life has compartments that that don't that don't run into each other. Like it's not like okay, this is my business life, and this is my home life, and this is my gym life. I think all of them are are part of a giant circle, and and they're all interconnected. I think the bottom line of it is, like I said before. It's a self, if it's a self focus. So the guy that's stressed out in business, even if he's doing well, right? It's, it's generally there's a, f- there's a self focus. It's about me. It's about my bottom line. It's about growing this for me, for my family. Um, and, and there's a, a, a primary motivation of fear behind it all. And, and I think that's fairly normal, but when it goes undiagnosed or unassessed, it's going to run you rampant. No, no amount. And if you're not clear on that, that's all the avoidant behaviors, right? Whether it's working too much, whether it's uh, eating too much, gambling, sex, whatever it is that a, how a person avoids, right? Watching sports endlessly, just anything to get out of having to sit with themselves. Yeah, but and as long as that you're aware of it and you're addressing it, and it's you can you can put it at bay if you need. I mean, is that healthy? I think without awareness, it, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. And again, there's nothing wrong. If that's how you want to live your life, that's fine. Most of those people are not satisfied with that, right? They're, they're, they're not content. They're not fulfilled. Happiness is whatever. You're gonna, sometimes you're going to be happy. Sometimes you're not. But being fulfilled, uh, being connected, feeling strong in relationships, that's, uh, I, I mean, that's oftentimes what people want. Like deep down when they get past all the other things, well, why do I want money in the first place? Most people for freedom, I yeah. guess. So I don't. You don't have to do your nine to five, mm-hmm. but that that working that twelve hours, sixteen hours a day, that might lead to addiction. To, to in terms of being that workaholic, where even when you get that money, now you might have made yourself so addicted to working, it might be hard to step away from a sixteen hour day. Sure, sure. Some people have a hard time. They don't know who they are without that. How? What steps, I mean, we've talked about the thought process and the baby steps of breaking down once you, you identify the issue, yours being, you know, you're saying maybe the, uh, the ego was too large or wanting to be the, ex, uh, the expert in the room and, you know. I thought a- I needed to be the expert in or- for you to see the value in me so that I could get something from you. Okay, and whatever that value was you're looking for. So it's kind of a little bit of smoke and mirrors at the same time. Yeah, yeah, there's so much dishonesty in there. When you address that, okay, I'm aware of this, this is the problem. Can you walk us through the the micromanaged steps you took to uh, try to uh, fix that behavior? Okay, so let's say I need to be the expert in the room. I'm constantly looking for ways to get you interested in me. What that tells me, is that there's, there's, I'm coming from a place of lack within. I don't feel confident about myself. I, I'm looking for you to get something from me. I'm looking to get something from you, okay? So I'm already starting this relationship trying to take from you. So I have to assess that. I have to look at that. Is that working? What does that create in me? Can I ever just be easy in my skin and relaxed? Uh, do I notice that it's hard for me to be interested in other people? When I'm constantly hogging the spotlight or trying to, 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 to be the guy that's out in front, what does that create for other people? And, so, and, and what is the outflow of that? Do people get tired of, of just 
that I take up so much space all the time, inconsiderate of anybody else. There's nothing wrong with taking up space and, and being big when, when it's appropriate. But when I do so in such a way that I, I don't make room for other people to come with me, that's a problem. And huh, no wonder why even when I have success, I feel lonely, right? So I'm looking at all the ways this is not working, okay? And it's and not that I'm wrong or bad or, or an asshole for doing this, but it's not working. I feel lonely, okay? So conversely, when I'm interested in another person and, and they are actually feeling heard and engaged with me and, and we start coming up with ideas in a cooperative way together and maybe I can support them in some way, I, I love how that feels. I feel, and so it's, it's being conscious and aware of my behavior, of my natural, of, of my sort of natural patterns, right? These, I'm not innately born just wanting the spotlight, right? It's just like I had some patterning that told me if I'm in the spotlight, my needs will get met. Is it difficult to suppress? Is it suppression? Well, so, yeah. So it, in the, at first it was suppression. Now it is a notice that that's there. I don't make it wrong. Uh, I think if you suppress these things long enough, they come out even worse. So it's not about suppressing it. It's about acknowledging that it's there, being okay that it's there, but choosing to act in spite of that. Okay. So yes, I notice I have this urge to want to look good on this podcast, right? But I'm also going to choose, even though I notice that I'm going to choose to be interested in what you have to say and actually maybe learn something about you. And yes, also give value to the podcast because I'm here as a guest and, and yeah, there's, there's some value to that. But it's like, okay, rather than this just be about me, could I make it a co-creation <laughs> with the person that I'm working with right now? That's more, that seems to be more fulfilling to me. That seems to be where more magic can happen in, in, in terms of like co-creations that we have these, we have an opportunity for that all the time if I'm present. Mm. If I'm not present and I'm just worried about me and I'm just worried about how I look, that's, I mean, it's a very, I'm, I'm limiting myself. It's not wrong. It's not bad. I'm not an asshole. I'm not the worst person ever to do that. It just, it doesn't give me results that I like. Do you surf? Uh, terribly, but yes. Okay. So uh, jujitsu, let's say, is an, an example. What is the crucial role jujitsu has played in your life to make sure you're present in the moment? Great question. So oftentimes in training, I'm, I'm generally one of the better guys in the room, right? If not the best guy in the room. Uh, ha happens more often than not. I, when my focus is to maintain that idea of being the best, my jujitsu gets tight. I'm thinking in terms of winning and losing. I don't enjoy that process. I feel like I'm, I'm defending something as opposed to enjoying the experience of jujitsu. Now, when I'm in this just sort of open intentional, free-flowing way. Jiu-jitsu just seems to happen. My body just seems to, it's like water around a rock. It finds the crevice that it's meant to fit into and, and everything flows and it's a lot of fun. Even if I'm not the best guy in the room, it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying the experience of learning, right? I can seek to be the best and defend that or I can be curious and enthusiastic about learning. Right, about or about what's what's actually present here right now those are those are the two ways that i can go about it and that's those are two ways i can live life i can defend i can live life on defense right which people do in business worried about that ten thousand dollars as opposed to looking at that ten thousand dollars as an opportunity to to step into the next level of business you're meeting people that are looking at that ten thousand dollars as a liability
right? You saw the opportunity by going in debt. And that's why you have what you have. Well, a lot of it also, the whole rich dad, poor dad, a lot I've realized that actually the government pushes you to live off your savings and actually rich people live off debt. Yeah. And I, I've only realized that a few years ago. So I encourage debt. Yeah. Because the way I look at it is like, well, I'll take the 10 grand, I'll take whatever I need to borrow from the bank and I will try my thing. And if it fails, what's, do I die? Am I, are right. you dead? Um, no, you, you can claim bankruptcy if you really want. Right. I mean, and again, if that <clears throat> 10 grand is the end of your world, well, then I think you have a lot worse problems than that. Um, jumping into like the, the egotistical, um, let's say even, um, leading businessmen of our day, your Steve Jobs, your Elon Musk's, which are your, your outliers. Sometimes technology is so important to push mankind forward. Are these outliers with these larger, larger egos, are they allowed to steer the ship and tell everyone else, Hey, fuck off. I'm doing it this way. Do you need that sometimes to, you know, push to evolve mankind, to evolve tech? I mean, if these people start caring about everyone's emotions, they might not be the men they are today either. Sure. So I think there are times where the leader has to basically say, hey, listen, trust me. This is the way that we're going. I don't know that it's caring about people's emotions as much as caring about people. Right. So I don't know. Maybe maybe these people live their lives and, and their mission here was to advance technology and they didn't care if their life experience was fulfilling or not or if they were miserable or not i don't know i'm i'm concerned and and sure people have done great things being assholes they've done you know phenomenal things is that the only way they could have done it i don't know maybe maybe not i i think there's there's i think there's infinite ways to do things i think i can advance my plan forward and also give a shit about people and also co-create with people i mean steve jobs used a lot of talents he wasn't necessarily the the only talent within apple he he needed the support of of, of quite a few people well he's the conductor yeah he's the conductor right uh, i think yeah there sometimes but trusting that vision and moving forward can i be a human being while i do that sure i, I don't think it's mutually exclusive that i i have to run over people to get a, 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 a an idea through i think the i think the business idea of endless growth though um i think that is is a cancer i think that's capitalism, though. Yeah, I just think that the idea, I don't see anything wrong with capitalism. Uh, you know, you have an idea, you want to bring it to fruition, great. The idea that I have to make more and more and more, that's what cancer cells do. I just, uh, I don't, there's no, the goal line keeps moving, and it's like, when I get here, when I get here, that, and, and there's no satisfaction to be had. There's no fulfillment in that. There's no presence in any of that. I think there's a, I forget the great, greek philosopher where it's kind of it's the image of pushing the boulder and then yeah. up and then again you're going this way yep. and then, forget what, what what that's called but there's a, a ancient greek philosophy yeah. sh showing that where sure. it's like it's endless actually it's it's infinite that the levels are there you'll never reach the top there is no top yeah and i think it's the idea that the t that happiness lies here mm. right and, that, and that's the thing i don't give a fuck what anybody does like i don't care as long as you're not hurting anybody right the idea that I'll be happy when is bullshit. Yes. If I can't be happy now in the midst of the process, I won't be happy when I get to the finish line. Because mm. you'll get there and you'll want the next thing. You'll be looking for the next finish line because right. I'm not happy now. Happiness, fulfillment, right? That Like 
being connected here. That happens in the present moment only. It doesn't happen in the future. I can that that whole idea is 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 really what fucks people up, right? And that's what fucks. That's it's what happens with these business guys. Once I make enough, then I'll be able to relax. Do you think typically they you you, you know you set the goalposts, and when you're a few steps away, you set them a bit wider because you're like, wait a minute, uh, I'm almost at my goal. Maybe subconsciously, I don't want to reach my goal, so. I wanted a million. Oh, I'm so close. Wait, maybe I really wanted ten, and you keep and you'll never reach the goal. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly what happens because, as one of my mentors says, the map doesn't match the territory. There, we have the map, and the map is once I get here, this will be okay. And so you're you're following this map, but that's that map's not taking you anywhere. It's not matching the territory that you're actually in. Mm the fulfillment happens through, through through being okay with what's going on right here, right now. Yeah, one of, one of my mentors, he's, a, he's like 75-year-old guy. He's done great in business. So I always go to dinners with him and just ask him questions. Sure. And he said, don't set any goals. If you set your business goal to a million, you'll never reach it. He goes, send it. He's like, I, I'm like, well, what do you set it? He's like, set it at 50 billion. I'm like, why? He's like, because you'll never reach it. So when you hit 10 million, you're, you're kind of happy. He's like, the second you start setting these like monetary goals, um, whatever decisions you make subconsciously are being molded to hit that goal and you won't be making the right decisions subconsciously. I'm like, oh, sure. okay. And he, he kind of, he really framed it that way. And well, so, are, are you fulfilled with what you're doing right now? Yeah. I think the hardest part when you're in the process is like, you can see the vision and, and certain things you want to execute and you know how to get there, but it takes time. Mm -hmm. And you have like, maybe I know I have to do this. Let, okay, let's say uh, I know I have to put our product in Amazon in the USA. Mm -hmm. Well, I need four months of certification and production is four mm -hmm. months. So that part uh, can it, you can get a little bit of anxiety, but when you're aware of it, mm -hmm. you have to just put it to the side. Totally. There's no there's no amount of money or magic wand that's going to get me certification for this product. It has to go through a process that takes three months. So this is time that's fixed. Mm -hmm. I can't even throw a billion dollars at that thing. Right. So that part's that part is an interesting part so of here's, the process. Here's the second question: Once that happens, will you be any happier? No, no. I, yeah, no. It, it's more, it's the process and where you're like, I just want to be there now. Right. But yeah. just notice that, right? Yeah. Notice like how we might think that just by getting, and I'm not saying that you do think this, but it's just, it's just a good for instance. Once mm -hmm. this phase of this moves to that, then I'll, well, what am I actually thinking is going to happen? Right? Yeah, the thing is moving along and it's cool. So, okay, can I just enjoy the process of this? Can I be present to what's happening? Yes, I have a vision of what I want to grow this to, but even if this becomes a fucking multi-million dollar company, does that, what does that, what does that do for me? Well, it gives me more financial freedom. Okay. Is more financial freedom going to make me happier and more fulfilled? I would say no. Mm. I'd say no, it doesn't. It gives me more tools to do more things. It has nothing to do with my fulfillment and my happiness at all. Right. Could I use it to, uh, I could use it to sure invest in other people and do things to, to, you know, to, to better the world and do things like that. And that may, and even that is not going to, to completely fulfill me if I'm not doing the work inside to, to, to have that fulfillment, you know? Yeah. Most of the time you don't, 
I don't really look at the next goals as well. It's like, I don't know where I'll be in two years and what I actually want. I mean, for me, the whole motivation, the whole reason I, well, one of the main reasons I started this business as well, uh, the podcast was out of pure boredom during COVID. We didn't have much to do. And we said, ah, let's build a mushroom company. And I want this product. It doesn't exist here. Um, It's great for Alzheimer's, all this stuff. And um, it's not here. I'll make it. I want to make it my own. Um, But the whole goal as well was, fuck, Bitcoin's probably going to 250,000. It's 26,000 now. I need another revenue stream to get complete like generational wealth. So I'm like, I'm going to build a brand and put all my profits into Bitcoin. And I saw my, uh, Michael Saylor doing it on MicroStrategy. Micro I truly believe like there'll be a day I can see, a, I, I, I want to say I would do a TED Talk. To be honest, I never would do a fuck, even if they asked. Um, but I mean, I truly believe all businesses will have Bitcoin on their on their their balance sheets. It will be part of like business one on one. And because that's my vision and it hasn't changed and it can easily change. You can see the price go up and down. You want to back out, but no. I truly believe that I want to put all my profits just into Bitcoin and that's gonna give me financial freedom. And at the end of the day, like it's not about the money so much. It's like I just don't want to work because I just want to golf twice a day. (laughs) I can't be mad at that. (laughs) That's that's literally it. And like my only dream is like I want to be able to um, travel the world and play at all the golf courses because there's something magical when you go to another country. The golf courses show, like, it it is a bit plastic, but it's so gorgeous. Some of these golf courses, and, and I know golf can be competitive, but golf is one of my favorite sports. It's kind of like a rich man's hike, but you connect to nature so well. When I, I used to golf six days a week, and that was the happiest I've ever been. Right. I'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I'd be hitting balls at 6. I'd come home at 8.30. I'd have lunch. I'd go out again. And it's just the feeling of just walking around in nature and the, the sounds, like it's just so silent and, and tranquil. And you disconnect from everything because you're so present in the moment. Right. Well, it doesn't surprise me. I, I'm, I'm not a golfer, but <clears throat> my understanding is that human beings derive their, uh, a lot of our meaning through challenge, right? And so golf being this almost meditative uh, have a meditative quality to it with a challenge, right? And so you're constantly being challenged. If golf was easy, I don't think it would be as enjoyable, uh, at least from my understanding from the people that I talk to. It wouldn't If it was super easy, but it's because it has to be worked towards so much and because it's so challenging and, and all those factors come into one thing, right? You get the nature aspect, the challenge, the quietness, the meditative aspect, all those things. I can see how that is quite fulfilling, how a person could be very at peace or, or how we're happy, um, being that of that that's a frequent part of their uh, and you, you escape your daily life as yeah. well and it's it's a it's an interesting sport like with my girlfriend like I'll, we'll go together and i mean 18 holes it's 10k yep. and if you ask me to walk 18 holes today my knees are going to be a mess tomorrow my feet ankles will be swollen but when you do it five or six days a week yeah. i've never golf was the best shape of my life i was like 82 kg walking 10k a day right now i'm like 94 and it was just, I found it's like a, you're, you're, you're fasting and you're, you're teeing off before you eat mm-hmm. and you're not really too hydrated. I don't know. For me personally, golf was, is one of the best sports out there. Um, and that when you, it's kind of like scuba diving as well. When you go to these other countries, there's, 
it's part of the world that you can only see if you do that sport. If you're right. doing scuba, you'll only see that maybe in PP. If you're golfing in South Africa, you're only going to see the golf course right. there. Instead of the the average tourist is just going to those same tourist spots. Sure. So that's kind of my my motivation behind. Right on. That's cool. Yeah. Um, before we wrap this up, wow, we went an hour for sure, um, and we didn't go too deep, and th and that that's okay. I I wanted to end this, but it might go another ten or fifteen minutes. You're a rare breed and an OG, as in coming from Phuket, but you were here in 2014 to 2019. You left and came back. Can you give us your, your experience of, you know, the feeling? And I think that's most um, Farangs or expats fears, and it's one of mine, ever leaving this place and going back to the Western world. I'll never do it. It scares the shit out of me. You've done it. Were you scared leaving? What drove you to leave? And when you were there, what drove you back? So I felt like I hit my ceiling here towards the end of 2019. I just like, okay, something internally was just telling me it's time. And that's always how I listen to everything. I just have this internal knowing that it's time to make a move of some sort. And, and yeah, so I had no plan really. I'm like, all right, I've got some money in the bank. I'll just, you know, until I'll, something will come that, that I, I fall in love with. But can, let's dig a bit deeper into sure. that. Meaning like, because when you said you left in 2019, I'm assuming it's COVID. No, no prior to COVID. It actually, something pushed you out yeah. of here. That that's, seems quite strange to me. Yeah, I just knew I hit my max of what I could do here. That my personal growth, I needed to go back to the States to challenge myself. I, my life was too easy here. Okay. Right? It was too easy. And for me, I need challenge to thrive. Mm -hmm. uh, I, sometimes I wish it wasn't like that because I sometimes stack a bit too much challenge on the plate and it could be a bit stressful, but yeah, I was not being challenged here. Uh, I could, you know, get, collect my salary, make a bunch of, do a bunch of private lessons, live like a successful drug dealer in Phuket and, you know, just cash everything. And, and it was cool, you know, like, like life was easy, no stress, but I was not growing and there was, I just, that wasn't okay with me. So I knew I needed, I knew I needed to go home. I didn't know why. Um, all the reasons why hit me on later on. I, I started experiencing PTSD symptoms that I never experienced upon leaving here. Um, as I started to sit down and began writing a book about my memoirs and started to recount some, some events and just, and the stress of being newly married and trying to put my life back together in the United States after having financial freedom in Phuket, moving to the most, ex one of the most expensive places in San Diego, was stressful. And then COVID happens in the midst of all this very shortly after. So man, there was a, it was like a, a whirlwind of just me having to confront myself and being put in all these positions and all these things that I needed to confront. And, and I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad I did it now. Uh, four years later, I'm still in San Diego. Uh, we decided to, we wanted to, yeah, we we're like, you know, we, had both wondering i wonder what it would be like to have this version of ourselves we both my wife and i are both heavily involved in personal development and constantly just in, in courses and leading different trainings and whatnot so like what would that feel like in phuket now the people that we are now and and it's been cool it's been cool to see it's been cool to come back here uh, you know i witness a few different types of people that come to phuket there's people that come here they just love the 
lack of red tape on general everyday life, even though there's a ton of red tape on getting anything done business wise. Documentation wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but driving yeah. drunk with your helmet off yeah. through a red light, yeah, yeah, go for good. it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of make your own fortune kind of living, which I, I love that. Um, I think there's people that come here for that. Mm. I really dig that. I think Phuket is also a place you can escape and avoid real life and avoid responsibility. Uh, And I, I see the, I, you know, I just noticed the w w juxtaposition, if you will, of those two different types that come here. Uh, I think there's people that, I think, see, like, just observe it. Phuket gives you so much time to yourself that I think for some people after they're here for a little while, like, like it's, it's, it's challenging that they, they actually have to, like, confront parts of themselves because... There's only so many massages you can get, you know, and, and before, like, because the, the island life is a little bit slower, right? And you so, can only drive around this thing yeah, backwards so yeah, many times. Yeah, and eventually I got I to gotta be with myself and, okay, what is it that's so difficult about being with me? And, and, it's an, and some people just get tired of that and they leave. And then whenever they get wherever they're going, they wish they were back here. How quick did that hit you when you got home? Like, when, was there a point in the first week you're like, oh, fuck, what have I done? <sighs> it took a little while because I was seeing friends and family and whatnot. And, 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 and so it was, it was exciting to be home and exciting because in my mind, I was leaving here like very, like I had a lot of momentum behind me. Like I was, uh, I think was it 2018? I was nominated for coach of the year in Asia. And, 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 you know, I had a lot of momentum, coached some world champs at Phuket top team. And we were a small gym compared to Tiger. So, but we had a really strong fight team. I built something really cool there. And I'm like, man, on the back of this, something bigger has got to be behind this little did i know it would be taking me actually out of the fight world and into what i'm doing now and i'm, I'm so much happier uh but actually being back here and working I, i've been guest coaching at tiger for the past couple of weeks which is weird because we were you know pretty staunch rivals at one time and uh, phuket top team no longer exists yeah. so it's been but working i love working with the fighters from russia and dagestan and chechnya there, there's such a Man, I really enjoy working with those group of people uh, and, and, you know, all the fighters from all over the world. And it's, it's just like, it's kind of like stoked a little bit of, okay, like maybe I wouldn't mind dipping my toe back into the fight world a little bit. It's not, I don't want it to be what I do for money. But could it be like life coaching for fighters? I, I mean, I could, I, I mean, it's definitely something I bring with me in the toolbox, but I, I like the technical aspect. Of, I like the, the fighting part of fighting too. Like I really, I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to that. I'm, you know, since I don't fight anymore, I'm a jujitsu nerd. I study fucking jujitsu technique way off, way more than I should. Uh, so I, I quite enjoy that aspect of it, the, the technical work. And also, yeah, and challenging the fighters in, in their emotional state and challenging them uh, with with their fears and how they handle fear and how they handle the different the different aspects of fighting and the stresses of fighting, I I, I really enjoy that. So you're saying b before we started the podcast, you're actually contemplating. You know, this is kind of a vacation, but a feeler as well. Yeah. Do Do you see yourself coming back here? Like, what kind of how long would that actually take you to make that decision or move? Yeah. So I do. I see myself moving back to Thailand permanently. No, I I love San Diego. I but I do see an opportunity to spend more time here right two three months out of the year maybe winter here you know uh seeing what that looks like and it's giving me some op some ideas for businesses i'm like ah oh, some retreats would actually be really fucking cool here you know with the work that i do i could probably put on some cool retreats here and so i see some opportunities it's been really uh, there's always fin the, one of the, my favorite thing about phuket is the networking mm -hmm. the best networking in and out of the meeting people from every facet of life 
from all over the world. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's so cool. Have you dabbled in plant medicine like psilocybin, ayahuasca? Um, I mean, we've already done an. That's probably a thirty-minute conversation. We'll we'll touch upon it quick. And I mean, if and I'm if a huge proponent. And if you're back again, yeah. I think that that's that's where I kind of was leading yeah. with the whole retreat side. Yeah. Um, what's your experience with uh, psychedelics, DMT, psilocybin, ayahuasca? I think psychedelics are fantastic tools. Have you you've uh, yes you've done lots uh, of experience. Okay, yeah, uh, I think they're great tools. I don't think they fix anything. Uh, I th other than possibly a boga, which I don't have any experience with, but I've heard that's actually like uh, readjusted people's uh, uh, for opiates, for opiates and, yeah. and lots of different things. But um, I think they give us perspective that we may not be able to achieve otherwise. And from it's like anything that that per it's almost like from that perspective as a, a, a goal that I would like to get to. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not a perspective that I, I may be able to keep upon leaving it. Maybe I hold it for a little while after. But then I get to look at, okay, that perspective and my current perspective, what's the space between me here now and arriving to that perspective, which I think is actually more in line with what I would believe if I didn't have this fear in the way. Yeah, it just shine. I find it shines light on, <laughs> on whatever you need to address. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I've, I, I've, I've dabbled with, this it was psilocybin. I've done ayahuasca, but psilocybin I, I find is more powerful, to be honest. Um, and doing the Terence McKenna, McKenna hero doses as yeah. we have them up here. Um, it shows you and brings light to whatever you need to address. But if you don't address it the next day, what was the point of you doing gotta it? You got to integrate. You have to. Yeah. yeah. So integration, that's a big part of my coaching work. It's why I, I generally work with people on 12-week contracts. Like I, I don't really do one-offs. Uh, if we're going to work, we're going to do deep work and we do and I, I talk to my clients in between our calls so that we're integrating the tools and lessons that we have in each call into real time, real life. They're not hanging in between calls. No. Like you're giving them homework and following up. Homework, following up. They have access to talk to me in between calls. So, hey, this conversation's coming up with my wife. Do you mind jumping on a call so we can ground for it? Just want to, you know, just get myself in the right space so that this can be productive. Okay, well, we're gonna wrap it up there. We got another guest coming. Oh. See what I, it's? We probably did an hour ten. It's a, it's so I don't know how people can do interviews unless like even that, I, I I honestly could go another forty five. <laughs> Easy. But the, yeah. the hard so the hard part is, and before I wrap it up, the hard part is like I've done a couple back to backs. We're trying to do more, so I want to take a month off podcasting right. and just have like ten in the bank. Right. And it's like when you do the doubles, the next one when that's done, it's like. It's like you you were teaching a class for three hours. Yeah, it's dude. exhausting. It's exhausting, dude. Very exhausting. Yeah. So I noticed that yeah, if you do the first one, you keep, try to keep it under an hour because the second one, it's like I'm gonna burn out. Microdose. Anyways, I try my Microdose. best. Uh, I take. I'll give you some of this stuff. I take oh, this nootropics yeah. focused stuff. This really helps with the podcast. Sweet. It's the LTNing that keeps nice. me going. Um, before we wrap it up, I'm just going to kick it over to this camera. So if you can kind of let everyone know, and we'll put links in the description of where they can find you, and if uh, specifically of what should they be looking for, why should they be reaching out to you? Sure. So uh, the easiest way to contact me is through social media, Instagram, Eric the Gentleman. Uh, you can I put up lots of content that people find useful. I've just constantly putting out my thoughts or the way that I look at things and different emotional processes that I work through personally or or just the way that I understand things and, and people seem to find it really useful. Um, if you're a person that's that feels like, man, there's more, I just don't know how to access it. Like there's got to be more to, to 
like I'm, I'm doing all the things I thought I wanted to, or I have this thing that I want to do. And for some reason I keep not letting myself move towards it. Shoot me a DM. We could have a conversation. If you're a guy that's got everything and is not happy, uh, I'd like to talk to you even more. Like those are the guys I really enjoy working with the guys that have the financial success. They've got all the toys and yet something is just something's off. And uh, they, they haven't been able to find the fulfillment. No amount of money has brought them there. Those are the guys I like to talk to. And especially coming from that uh, background of, of, you know, working in fight camps, the structure, you're kind of applying that structure into the mental aspect. All of it. Um, and and uh, I mean, without boosting the ego, for me, you can't bullshit a bullshitter and you're definitely not a snake oil salesman. There's just too many life coaches out there. I'm sorry. It's like you can't be a life coach without any experience, especially real <laughs> world experience. To be For honest, sure. like I can't be a life coach, but I could give you information on what I've done with my business so sure. far. And that's the extent of it. It's the same thing. It's I, um, I, I highly recommend if you guys are, again, looking for a little bit of structure in that extra edge, reach out to Eric. And again, you're able to do this all remotely. Absolutely. So, um, and, and I, 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 uh, I think you guys should reach out to him. I'm, I'm terrible at ending these podcasts, but anyways, <laughs> um, that thanks a lot. That Thank ends you. another podcast. We have another, uh, episode we're about to shoot now as well. I'm not sure when this all comes out, but it doesn't matter because you're watching it live. So thank you. We're out. Thank you.